Federal crime has been out of the news a little bit recently. Does that mean it's gone away? It's been um, a little bit uh, under the radar, I think. The news has been focusing much more on on climate change and COP26 and, and Brexit and lots of other big issues. It's taken away the focus from it. But there is at least a little bit of good news on the rural crime front, certainly for Lincolnshire. And there's a new social media campaign been launched to support British farming. And we just thought it was a good idea to try and shout about how brilliant our food is and it's low food miles. It's brilliant. We should be all buying it. More about that shortly. And if you're an agricultural contractor or you use contractors on the farm, we'll talk to the National Association of Agricultural Contractors later. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Sean Sparling and Kit Dickinson will also be here as usual. And we'll see what the weather holds in store for us this week. Following recent ballots in the potato and horticulture sectors, a consultation has been launched to reform the AHDB as part of a government move to deliver greater accountability and value for money for farmers. The online consultation runs until the 10th of January. Search AHDB consultation if you wish to take part. Bird flu cases have been confirmed in Derbyshire and Lancashire this week, but there's some good news for pig producers. Two DEFRA schemes designed to help reduce the backlog of pigs on farms have opened for applications. The private storage aid and slaughter incentive payment schemes for farmers in England are open for applications. Details on the DEFRA website. The NFU president has warned of huge cost increases hitting the agricultural sector after the British Free Range Egg Producers Association highlighted a financial squeeze on egg producers. Minette Batters, president of the NFU, was speaking at the Egg and Poultry Industry Conference saying that farmers were facing a significant financial threat. We're seeing massive rises in input costs, she said, speaking during the online conference last Wednesday. She said the price of natural gas had now driven up the price of fertiliser ammonium nitrate to well over £700 a tonne. Sean Sparling is going to be talking about that later. And who's bearing the cost? Yes, the farmer, but higher food prices are bound to follow. Rural crime has been out of the news a little recently. Does that mean things are getting better? Well, it's certainly not gone away. At the recent Midlands Machinery Show in Newark, one of the key meetings was on the subject and Andy Guy, Nottinghamshire County Advisor for the NFU, was there. It was really about getting the message across from the farmers that rural crime hasn't gone away. It's a real problem. And to try and, and make sure that the money and the resources are focused in the right places. The real danger is that the money goes to the cities. And that's where lots of people are, lots of voters are. And it's understandable, and lots of serious crime. But the countryside is not without its serious crimes too. And that was, that was what the point was yesterday, to raise the profile really of the countryside. As you say, it has been out of the news a little bit, which I suppose is good in some respects, but it's still as much of a problem as it was, isn't it? It absolutely is as much of a problem, and it's been um, a little bit uh, under the radar, I think, because it's been um, hijacked, I suppose. That's the wrong word. It's, uh, the news has been focusing much more on, on climate change and COP26 and, and Brexit and lots of other big issues. It's taken away the focus from it. But you're absolutely right. The, the big issues that, that my members in Nottinghamshire are struggling with are fly-tipping, uh, hair coursing. Hair coursing is a really interesting one. It's, it's On the face of it, it looks like a couple of chaps chasing a hare across a field. And in reality, it's about big-scale gambling, some really nasty organised crime gangs involved in that, um, and, and lots of money, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of money being gambled on those, on those um, events. So 
Um, it's, it's making sure everybody focuses on those things and understands the scale of what we're trying to deal with. Now, Nottinghamshire's asking for a dedicated rural crime action team, which is something that Lincolnshire asked for a good few months ago. And there's some good news on that front. Rhonda Thompson, County Organiser for Lincolnshire for the NFU, what's the latest? So, Steve, as you know, uh, together with the CLA, we're delighted that Lincolnshire Police have decided that they will have an RCAT in our county. It's, it's very much needed because Lincolnshire's got a huge rural area and um, because of the size of it, it's difficult to cover some of that very effectively. So we are hopeful that the introduction of the RCAT will actually uh, make, make a difference and a difference will be felt. Um, the team will be based somewhere locally, so they're not going to be based working out of Nettlem. Um, there will be eight constables and a sergeant. I know the sergeant's already been appointed and I know that she is actually from a farming background. And I'm also aware of a couple of those constables that have been appointed also come from Lynx Royal Crime Team already. So, so they will obviously have that connection. Not wishing to sound ungrateful for the uh, creation of the Rural Crime Action Team, which you've been campaigning for for some time. But eight officers doesn't sound an awful lot for a big county, does it? It doesn't, but it is a team that is completely focused on investigating the rural crime that's either in this area or comes into this area and doing investigative background work on the individuals that are that are actually the perpetrators of this. And I think if you look at how stretched Lincolnshire Police are generally across the county, it's a massive breakthrough to have a team that are dedicated just on the rural crime aspect. And when does this all come into force? Uh, I think it's going to be up and running in the new year. I take your point about the size um, here, Steve, but the thing is, it is a massive step forward. And if you were to ask Nottinghamshire farmers, would they be pleased to be having this sort of resource? I think they would be delighted. Once it takes effect, people will start to feel safer. They will feel that criminals are being targeted rather than seeing Lincolnshire as a massive county that they can come into and do what they want. It's a step in the right direction. We, we just have to have to see. I see this as recognition that there is a problem and this is something that, that is a step in the right direction to try and do something about that. Good news. Thank you, Rhonda. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Steve. A new campaign's launched this week aimed at promoting and supporting British farming. Started by the pig sector, which we know has had an awful time this year, but it's not just about promoting British pork. Kate Morgan, Yorkshire pig farmer, you and your sisters are behind this. How did the campaign come about? Well, it came about because, like you said, the pig industry is in a dire situation. And a lot of people, after seeing us on the TV and in the media, were asking what they could do to help us. And to be fair, the only thing that they could do to help us is to buy British. And then the New Zealand deal came out. And in general, agriculture seems to be having a pretty tough time, especially with the COP26. And so we thought, right, we need some positivity in the industry. That's where the idea came along. It's inclusive, so that it involves all of British ag. And we just thought it was a good idea to try and shout about how brilliant our food is. And it's low food miles. It's brilliant. We should be all buying it. We've had campaigns wanting us to buy British in the past. What's different about this? So it was really simple, just the fact that it's low food miles. You know, if if your food that you're buying has flown halfway around the world, that's got to start alarm bells ringing. We're not putting any other nations down away that they rear food because they all do it very well. But this is purely about a simple choice of low food miles.
Yeah, some of this follows in the footsteps of other viral challenges and wanting this to go viral if possible, like uh, the ice bucket challenge and things like that with a hashtag bite into British. You wanted people to upload clips of themselves doing things. Yeah, that's exactly it. We've had some people just literally biting into British and saying that. And then we're beginning to start getting a few more entertaining ones. We've had Anna Longthorpe doing an apple bobbing, uh, which was very impressive. There's huge potential. And if we can get the young guys involved, then I'm sure they'll be a lot more creative than what we are. Bringing it down to simple terms, it's about spreading the message about British food, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the key is that you do your video and then you nominate other people to partake in it as well. Whatever social media you're on, hashtag bite into British, upload a video of you doing something to spread the word and nominate some other people to do the same. Spread the message. Yeah, really simple. And let's shout about how really brilliant we are at producing food. Thank you for that, Kate. Good luck with the campaign. Thank you very much. So hashtag bite into British on Twitter, upload a clip and challenge three more to do the same. And let's see if we can get promoting British farming going viral. Sean Sparling's with us now with some timely agronomy advice as the changing season of autumn continues. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Bit of a change in the farming and the general landscape over the last seven days. Always the same this time of year. You get a couple of frosts, a few windy, wet days, and all of a sudden things look very, very different. I was talking to one of my growers this time last week, incidentally, who said the leaves seem to be taking their time falling this year. And to be fair to him, that's something he says every year around about the 10th of November, by the way. But seven days on, they've almost all fallen off the trees he was pointing out well it is the 21st of November and that's what always happens this time of year isn't it so agronomy then let's start with all seed rape a change in the situation with regards to curb and the other propizomide containing products because the curb weather app which you can download free from the Corteva site the curb weather data or the KWD app to be specific where you put in your postcode and it will calculate for you the soil temperature the soil moisture deficit the forecast rainfall wind speed etc and then that gives you the current application conditions on a traffic light system red for not on your nelly amber for brace yourself and green for what you're still doing it and it's now showing green on pretty much every postcode that i put in it remember if you use straight propizomide you can apply that on a frost if you've got anything in with it you probably don't want to be doing that but if you're using propizomide or mixtures like astrocurve while the traffic light system is red that means the soil temperature is too high and the propizomide breaks down very very quickly in warm soil conditions and your blackgrass control is going to be not only compromised, but also the length of protection you get from that propizomide against future germinations is going to be much, much shorter. But as I say, green light means go. And even though those forward crops have got some pretty huge canopies up to my thighs in some cases, Corteva trials over many years show that blackgrass control from propizomide really doesn't appear to be compromised or impeded by these big thick canopies. Also, please be responsible when you're using propizomide so that we help prevent unnecessary movement of it into watercourses. By doing that, we can safeguard the product for much longer. You need to hit five of the following conditions to meet stewardship guidelines as produced by the Voluntary Initiative, the VI. So you want a crop that's been established by min-till into the top four or six centimetres or a direct 
drill crop, you don't want any field drains in the field, you have at least six metre buffer strips by any watercourses, or you have no watercourses at all on the borders of the field. The slope of the field wants to be less than 5%, which is a one metre in 20 metre fall. You don't want any risk of heavy rain within the 48 hours following or preceding application. In essence, don't spray when field drains are flowing or if they're likely to flow within seven days of you spraying. And you don't want to be spraying if it's been subsoiled or mould in the last six months. So avoid heavy rain before and after application within 48 hours to make sure. From your point of view, Curb works far better in cold, moist soils, but the crop does need to have three leaves. So if you've got a backward crop, just make sure it's big enough. You don't want any crop damage. You've got until the 1st of February to put propizamide on, so do pick your time. The soils need to be around 80% field capacity. and The soil temperature wants to be at 30 centimetres, 10 degrees and falling, as I've said, or 8 degrees and falling at 15 centimetres. And by the way, make sure you're sure you're going to keep that crop to harvest for next year if you're going to put something like propizamide on, a residual hit like that because if you lose it in March it gets very complicated cultivation wise for what you have to do next to put another crop in the ground. Also only use the full dose of propizamide of 840 grams on the severe and the problem blackgrass sites. Corteva are now recommending between 500 and 750 grams of propizamide on the less severe blackgrass or where other grasses are an issue or broadleaf weed situations but ask your advisor about that and also if you're going to use AstroCurb which has got aminopyrrolid in do that first so the aminopyrrolid can do a, a slightly better job in the slightly more mild conditions before winter really kicks in and also make a note where you put the astro curb so that you you don't remove that straw from the field unless it's for burning if you've still got broadleaf weeds in your oilseed rake by the way and you're not using astro curb there are products out there you can use belcar for example that's contact and that can be put on until the 31st of december you may need the canopy a little more open for belcar if you've got some of these thick crops and by the way only mix prothioconazole with belcar because any fungicide with a plant growth regulatory effect can complicate things. You can get a bit more crop damage. But again, ask your advisor about that too. Lots more foam are showing up now. And as I've said before, prioritise the smaller plant crops for that. Light leaf spot remains relatively elusive, but it's out there and you can find it. So choose the best product should you decide to go. One that does both light leaf spot and foamer if they're both in the crop. If it's just foamer, you can save a few quid and put something on just for foamer. The cereals out there are also showing a marked increase in growth, but also in slug activity, particularly on heavier land, the min-tilled, direct-drilled crop. So stay alert to slugs. Some re-drilling actually going on where there was no sign of slug activity above or below ground just seven days ago. So lots going on underneath the, the surface, especially, as I say, on the heavier land, after all seed rape and beans in particular, but not exclusively, and where you've got gappy, uneven, cloddy seedbeds where you've left enough air gaps for them to move through um just thinking ahead also about nitrogen um with nitrogen prices now shamefully high how these people sleep at night is absolutely beyond me look at table 3.1 which is an extended version of table 4.22 in rb209 google it and that will give you adjustments for nitrogen recommendations which take into account current fertilizer prices and cereal values so for example if you've spent 600 pound a ton for your ammonium nitrate and your grain price is 225 pounds a ton that means you can cut back 
back by about 30 kilograms to hectare to make sure you stay in business. The sugar beet showing plenty of late sacospora in the county. Lift those fields first because frost damage is going to be far greater the later these fields are left. Now, few of the, the new fungicides, of which there are many coming along or plenty of options coming along, but very few of these new options of fungicides are going to do much good on sacospora from what I can see. So variety and cultural control is still going to be best. So all a bit wintry, all a bit steady, plenty of crops in the ground, things looking really well, plenty of things to be thankful for. Let's see what next week brings. So much information crammed into six minutes. Thank you, Sean. If you missed anything or if you want to listen again, just head to the website, the app or ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme. And you can follow Sean on Twitter at SAS Agronomy. Do you use contractors on your farm? 90% of farms do, mostly for a specific job or one needing specialist equipment. But who do you use? Someone that's recommended by your neighbour or the same guy you've used forever? Where do you go if you need a contractor for the first time, perhaps for a new job, something you've not done before? The other day, I had a chat with Jill Hewitt and Matt Redman from the National Association of Agricultural Contractors and asked them to start, what is the best way to select a contractor? Jill. I think all of those things that you've said are correct. Um, I think there's a lot based on trust. But I think going forward, particularly, professionalism is going to be really important. They need to have proper insurance. They need to be properly trained and qualified to do whatever operation you're asking them to do. Their qualifications need to fit with farm assurance. And you need to be able to work together. That's really important. And a member of the National Association of Agricultural Contractors is also important. Matt, you're talking about working together as key when you're using contractors. How does the partnership work when you're using a contractor? I think communication is definitely the key. At the end of the day, if you're, we're trying to use a, a larger or an expensive piece of machinery over multiple farms, and historically the reason for each farm having their own was to hit the weather window at the right time, and over a, a wider area that weather window is obviously greater, but we're trying to meet every customer's requirements at the right time, so having that good communication between the parties to ensure that we're in the right place at the right time doing the job as efficiently and productively as possible is is key everything's time critical but at the end of the day farm safety is the the paramount factor in this and, and communication is the first step in ensuring that everybody from farm staff to contractors are undertaking the work they can as safely as and efficiently as possible without detriment to the job one of the reasons, I guess, for many farmers using contractors is, as we said, they don't want a load of expensive equipment just sat, not being used for 10 months of the year. The trouble is, surely all farmers are going to want the same piece of equipment at the same time. Does that not still happen when you're using contractors? Uh, it does, but proportionally the size of the machine will increase to a contractor. So rather than, for example, a farm having a piece of machinery that would take two or three days to undertake an operation, a contractor will have a, a larger piece of machinery that will do it in a day. The other thing to note is it's not just the machinery, it's the skilled labour to to operate that um, and ensure that these expensive pieces of kit are actually used to their full capacity. Jill, you talked about red diesel. There's changes coming up for that, isn't there? Yes, from April the 1st in 2022, there'll be a, a change to the law which will focus on the use of red diesel based on use. So the construction industry will lose the use of red diesel. Agriculture in general will keep it, but I think for some of our members, it will be mixed-use businesses that start to potentially have issues. 
And grants, of course, is always a subject that's, uh, that's in the, the news, changing grants and what's available, what's not available and so on. How does that affect contractors? Do contractors get the grants? Does the farmer get the grant? Who applies for it? How does it work? So we are delighted that new grants are about to be announced that will allow contractors to apply. In the past, you're quite right, there have been um, a lot of grants have specifically excluded contractors, which has made it really difficult because what tends to happen then is a farmer applies for a grant, buys a piece of kit that will be potentially underutilised and then perhaps starts doing some contracting. And so, as, as Matt has quite rightly said, contractors are becoming increasingly important and it's vital that DEFRA recognises that. And this is a really important step because we are now becoming a much more recognised part of the industry. So, con- more information coming up from DEFRA in the next couple of weeks, yeah? Sorry, Matt. I think it's also uh, important to note that value for money from these grants is obviously it's public money that's being used providing a contractor the ability to to get the grant to buy a piece of machinery that could be used on 20 farms rather than providing the same grant to 20 farms actually ensures that this grant money goes further and is more utilized and, and better value for money at the end of the day I think the other important thing to, to note of what the NAC actually does is that with the, the way things are going at the moment, the more reliance on contractors and the actual lobbying at government level for contractor-specific requirements and needs is what the NAC does, and the more members we've got, the stronger the voice we've got. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. The NAAC's website for more information and the Find a Contractor service is naac.co.uk. Thanks to Jill and Matt, and we'll talk to Jill again next week with an update on DEFRA's position on grants for contractors. How have the grain markets performed this week? With his regular report, here's Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Another week and global milling wheat demand keeps on coming and prices keep on rising. Algeria initially spooked the market by changing their buying specification, increasing their bug damage limit to allow Black Sea wheat to be supplied. There were also unconfirmed rumours that they had excluded French wheat from the tender, which initially weighed on Matif Futures market, which has since recovered and is trading back close to contract highs. Algeria reportedly bought between seven and 800,000 tonnes of wheat for December-January position, with a third likely to be of Black Sea origin. Egypt also tendered, but were only able to buy one cargo from Romania, with nothing cheap offered out of the Black Sea, despite sharply lowered freight rates. Turkey, Ethiopia and Iraq are also currently buyers. The supply side of the equation has been made more difficult by harvest rains in Australia, which, it is feared, will reduce their quality wheat availability. Whilst torrential rains and mudslides have halted the rail deliveries to Canada's largest port of Vancouver, it never rains but it pours is very apt where Canada is concerned this year. EU domestic maize prices are rising as consumers are maximising their inclusion at the expense of more expensive wheat and barley. EU maize imports from third world countries continue well below expectations whilst EU wheat exports are 30% above last year. Ethanol margins are also profitable, which should keep the ethanol plants running at near capacity. So looking at barley this week, relatively quiet week with both European and domestic buyers taking stock of what they have before coming back to the market. EU domestic markets remain in a tight range with any trade shorts in the pre-Christmas window looking to discount strongly. With ongoing logistics issues across the country, malting barley homes continue to run at extended MAGB terms. Supply chains have been working together to try and mitigate issues. New crop markets have once again seen some discussion, with some trading being concluded this week. Oilseed rate markets have seen a steady decline from the beginning of the week, with crude oil values 
being under pressure and various news headlines suggesting larger European crops, especially in Germany, which is now weighing on sentiment. Following Monday's summit between the US and the Chinese presidents, there have been some fresh impetus for soybeans with ongoing export sales, again including unknown destinations, as well as China directly. Palm oil has also helped spur on the veg oil markets, with the export outlook for palm oil more upbeat than had been expected, even with the proposal this week by the EU banning the import of commodities linked to deforestation, with palm oil, cocoa and coffee all being named. Clearly, this would support alternate oils if it were to pass. So, moving on this week, prices, November. We're now filling in shorts to mills, so please speak to your open field farm business manager for a specific prices pre-Christmas. Post-Christmas, February, 228 to 230 for feed wheat X the farm. May, 231 to 233. November next year, new crop, 196 to 198. And milling wheat premiums, are currently circa 40 to 43 pounds. Feed barley this week, November 207 to 209, February 212 to 214, and May 215 to 217. For malting barley premiums, please again contact your open field farm business manager. And lastly this week, oilseed rape. For November, 565 to 570, February 573 to 576, and May 576 to 579. Thank you very much. Many thanks. Kit Dickinson from Openfield, who can be contacted at openfield.co.uk. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. High pressure through the middle of the week, mostly dry this week, but turning colder with temperatures in single figures and some frosts expected at night. A fairly bright day today with a light shower possible but mostly dry, a northwesterly in the mid-teens keeping temperatures no higher than about 7 Celsius. Monday sees the start of that pressure rise, dry with a lighter northerly, highs again around 7. Calm and dry for Tuesday and Wednesday with temperatures again staying around 7 Celsius but a cold night into Thursday which sees the pressure and the temperatures start to drop. Expect to be down to freezing point overnight into Friday which sees low pressure, rain and highs no more than 4 Celsius. Finally, a reminder that it's Crop Tech this week, back after nearly two years away at the East of England showground with demonstrations, equipment, careers advice and seminars. For example, a farmer-led debate focusing on regenerative agriculture to ask, does it stack up on farm? And navigating pesticides regulation post-Brexit will take centre stage at the Crop Protection Seminar. It's free, but you'll need to get a ticket at croptechshow.com and I hope to see you there. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week, have a good week.